Hello and welcome to the History Film Club, the club for people who really, really love history and film and television. I'm Alex von Tunzelman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television. And today, Hannah, we have a very exciting applicant to join the History Film Club. It's Amara Thornton. Yes, I'm really excited uh, that we're welcoming Amara to the History Film Club on a visit today. She's Dr Amara Thornton, and she's an honorary research associate at the UCL Institute of Archaeology um, and also a research officer at the University of Reading. Um, but Amara's an expert in the history of archaeology in the late 19th and early 20th century. And particularly interesting to us as well is that she runs the Filming Antiquity Project, uh, which digitises footage of archaeological excavations. So she works on history and she works on film and she works on history on film. So, you know, I think we're going to be going to find lots of friends here. <laughs> Welcome, Amara. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Amara, as you know, we have a very exacting application process for the History Film Club, where when we when you when you come and visit us, we ask you to talk a little bit about your interest in history and film. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as someone who works on kind of actual footage of archaeological excavations, do you find the kind of fictional presentation of archaeology problematic on screen? Or um, is it in keeping with what you see from that kind of archival material? Um, uh, that's an interesting question, because um, actually the footage that I work on is um, more complicated than it might seem, because uh, the original footage that we started digitizing as part of di uh, filming antiquity was sort of raw home movies that were made by an archaeologist called uh, Lancaster Harding. Um, and he worked originally in Egypt in the sort of 1920s. That was where he got his sort of start in Egyptology. And, um, and then he moved on to Mandate Palestine and then ultimately ended up being the director of antiquities in Jordan. But anyway, he was on site in Mandate Palestine and acquired a little baby Pathé movie camera. And so um, the archive that we were working with was his archive, his personal archive. And it was just a box of about 40 odd um, tiny little canisters. Um, so those are the home movies, which are very sort of casual. I mean, there are little bits of um, excavation footage that you might expect, you know, like large scale site pans with um, lots and lots and lots of um, local workmen and women and children um, on them. Um, but there were also funny things like um, there's a, there's a bit in one of the films where one of the other people who's working with Har with Harding, who's a woman called o Olga Tufnell, um, she and another person on the dig, um, whose name I can't remember, there are a couple of other people. Um, anyway, they're doing this kind of like trick thing where they, um, they, they filmed it, they filmed themselves kind of having tea in a in a part of the site, um, but they filmed it backwards. So, so you see everything, you know, them peeling bananas and drinking tea and whatever, and it's all backwards. So they're obviously <laughs> experimenting <laughs> with this sort of new medium. It's like Indiana Jones outtakes. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. So, um, so there is a sort of conscious effort to. Um, to be filmmakers themselves, but also it's um, a lot of it is just kind of like random scenes. It's bits of um, 
scenes of travel. There's some amazing footage of local women weaving, which is incredible. Um, and one of the most interesting um, parts of that footage is um, Harding was able to get really close to a woman. He had his camera basically over her shoulder. And I think um, that kind of indicates that she was comfortable enough with him to allow him to get that close to her. I mean, obviously, this is in a situation where, um, you know, as a British archaeologist, he's in a position of power. And so maybe she didn't have a choice over the matter. Um, mm. But I think it was a, it's a really interesting bit of film. Um, and you can see her hands working away. She's got this amazing silver bracelet on. Anyway, so that's the home movies. And then there were other bits of footage that we digitized from, broadly speaking, the same dig. But these were very formal narrative films with title cards and um, a sort of general structure, which were meant to teach people about what they were finding on site and what the, the local context of the site was and um, the sorts of materials that were being discovered. So there's a, a mix of things that came through with that project, which I think it's really interesting to see how they thought people should understand the site in these formal films and how they were capturing the site, but also experimenting with, with filming themselves, um, in the in the home movies. So, um, so yeah, so really interesting different sets of footage, and you can see some some links between the footage that is digitized that is from archaeologists and the the you know the way that archaeology is represented on screen. But I think there are there are differences. You can see some of the local people um, coming through a bit more in a bit more of a nuanced way than you do in a, in a sort of Hollywood film. So that's quite nice, I think. I think, I mean, even though I'm a historian, I think all my knowledge of archaeology comes from Indiana Jones. Yeah. So I really <laughs> want it to be like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a very big influence on me as a kid and I think probably quite a big part of why I became a historian. But of course, someone like Gerald Lancaster Harding, I mean, there were lots of models for Indiana Jones, but he does sort of fit the bill. I mean, you know, there he was in, you know, the... 1920s through to some 1940s, um, you know, he's very well known for being involved in the expedition that did begin to recover the Dead Sea Scrolls and so yeah. on. You yeah. know, so it's really contemporary with that kind of Indiana Jones feel and how fascinating to have Indiana Jones's real home movies to mm. go to. But, <laughs> but, <I> mean, <laughs> but for you, Amara, when you, you know, watch these movies, I mean, do you find that you're kind of, uh, I mean, obviously... There's probably a bit more fighting Nazis in the movies than there um, was in Yeah, here. although I have to say there are a lot of archaeologists. I mean, one of the things I, I am quite interested in is um, not the sort of like mechanics of archaeology as such and what's being discovered, but how archaeologists are interacting with a much wider context. So political, economic, social, etc. Um, and a lot of archaeologists were involved in war work. Um, during World War II, there was a couple of monuments men who were archaeologists. So Stanley Casson, who was a British archaeologist, mostly working in Greece, he was one of the monuments men. And Leonard Woolley, um, I think, is another one. He's quite famous. He was in the 1930s. He was uh, excavating at, at Ur in Iraq. And those were kind of contemporary to Howard Carter in Egypt, and but probably not as well known, even though it was a massive excavation. And it was very kind of publicized at the time but now I think probably if you were to say you know put the name Howard Carter and the name Leonard Woolley in front of people 
unless they were specialists, they wouldn't, they would recognize Howard Carter, but they wouldn't recognize Leonard Woolley. So, so yeah, who gets I can't to be remember. famous? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Howard Carter had a very um, well-managed publicity campaign. So that well, and some of them, I mean, apparently I have read that um, uh, Lancaster Harding actually later on when he was living in Lebanon met the author William Peter Blatty, who said yes. that uh, Harding was the physical model for yes. the character Lancaster Father Merrin, Merrin. the Exorcist. Yes, yes. That's So right. he's got a kind of fascinating film link to him, hasn't absolutely, he? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Perhaps not quite. I don't think The Exorcist quite counts as a historical movie, but it's um, no. that's a lovely connection to history, though. It is, yeah, absolutely. And and um, I read the Exorcist. I mean, I've seen the film, obviously, and I, but I, when I was doing filming Antiquity, um, I read The Exorcist because I thought, okay, I have to figure out. If, <laughs> <laughs> and and he doesn't actually appear Lancaster Marin until much like really far into the book. Um, but he is this very tall. Lancaster Harding was very tall, so he's this very tall kind of gaunt man who has this mysterious air about him and i can just see you know a young writer meaning an, a fairly you know old archaeologist <laughs> and thinking <laughs> wow you know how how alluring um, and i'm I mean, gonna put him in my book why do you think though that archaeologists i mean yes i think they are alluring in that respect i mean uh, and amara i'm sure you're extremely alluring but it's <laughs> you know why are they so fascinating to filmmakers because we've had indiana jones and also sort of repeated revivals of the mummy for instance mm. you know which really gets into the egyptology glamour as well um, yeah you know why is this so appealing to the popular audience do you think i think it's part of a long long standing campaign by archaeologists um i mean less so now i think but in the 19, sort of late 19th and early 20th century, um, British archaeology specifically wasn't funded um, in a way that was steady. So a lot of archaeologists had to appeal for public support. Um, so there were public subscriptions that funded research in Egypt through the Egypt Exploration Fund, which is now the Egypt Exploration Society, um, still goes um, today. And um, research in Palestine, for example, was supported by the Palestine Exploration Fund, um, which is also still going today. So um, so it was really a mechanism by which archaeologists could get people to give them money to support <laughs> their work. Um, and I think um, some archaeologists did this better than others. Um, and uh, Leonard Woolley, for example, did a lot of radio broadcasts um, when radio was um, a thing that he could use. But they also wrote books about their work. Um, some of these are, you know, now they read in a sort of quite serious way, but the, a lot of them were quite popular. And Leonard Woolley was very good at, at that. So he turned his radio broadcast, for example, in the 1930s into a book called um, Digging Up the Past, um, which was published one of the first uh, Pelican paperback books that was published when Pelican started publishing in 1937. So, um, so I suppose you have to think of it as, you know, these are people who, um, in a time before film, they were giving lectures that were illuminated by lantern slides, which had their own photographs in them. So they were sort of cultivating this idea of, we are people who go overseas, who interact with all of these um, other people, find this amazing stuff, um, take it back to the UK um, in circumstances that are facilitated by an imperial infrastructure. 
Mm-hmm. And controversial then, now, of course. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and then, you know, present it to a British audience and say, look at all this stuff I've done. Can you support me to continue doing this stuff? So um, so this narrative of of sort of archaeology adventuring, you know, being funded by I mean, Indiana Jones has great funding, I have to say, because he is allowed <laughs> to take planes places. I mean, a lot of archaeologists didn't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Although um, he does really, they don't have a with... private plane in archaeology. I'm disappointed. I was going to change yeah. my field. Yeah, but it's interesting no. how they sell it as the kind of glamour of exploration. You know that they're the explorers finding these kind of hidden wells of the past. And I suppose it's after we've kind of explored the world, but before we go into space and have the space race. And archaeology is the kind of, you know, the frontier that everyone's fighting over, isn't it? They're yeah. like taking them into this mysterious dark past. And um, you can see how you can sell the glamour to get funding to oh, do absolutely. that and then end up with, you know, the kind of Indiana Jones <laughs> version mm, a bit yeah. further down the line. One of my favourite, um, speaking of planes, one of my favourite things I came across when I was doing... Um, the research for my book was um, a whole bunch of articles that appeared in the 1930s when um, quite a famous Egyptologist called Flinders Petrie, who's um, one of the um, people associated with the Petrie Museum in London. Um, it bears his name, in fact. Um, he took a plane from um, Croydon to Le Touquet, um, so quite short flight. But because he was already a very famous explorer, this kind of like made the headlines across the UK. Flinders Petrie gets on a plane at age 80, you know, flying is better than riding a camel, etc. Um, so he was I mean, able to kind of like... <laughs> he was able to, the glamour, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And he, at this point, I mean, he was an old man at this point, but he was still having to kind of like use his sort of persona as cultivated over quite a long period of time to attract attention. Um, it's getting, it was getting by that point, it was getting harder and harder for people to, um, to get people to, to give money to digs, partly because that sort of idea of biblical quests, um, which you can see in Indiana Jones, um, obviously he goes after the Holy Grail and, um, and the Ark of the Covenant, but um, that idea of sort of finding things and cities and, you know, sites that are associated, people that are associated with the Bible is an incredibly potent um, mechanism by which to attract people to give funding to archaeologists. But by the 1930s, that, that it doesn't have quite the appeal it did in like the 1880s, let's say. So, mm. um, you know. Although I it think... is revived, you're right, in Indiana Jones, which, you know, really, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones film, is intensely religious. I mean, mm. effectively, Indy's struggle is that he has to learn to have humility and faith in the film. I yeah. mean, that's the, yeah. that's the plot line, is yeah. and that's the crucial bit, which is very unusual in films in, you know, the late 20th and uh, 21st mm. century. Yeah, we absolutely. don't deal often with this. Um, but do you think, I mean, so for you, if we're looking at the kind of big movie archaeologists, mm. I mean... You know, because there is, of course, Indiana Jones there as, as this giant, but also Rick O'Connell of the Mummy. Um, mm. You know, and don't forget who, Evelyn. <laughs> and don't forget Evelyn. Absolutely. Evelyn is the best. Evelyn, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so who is going to be on your dream expedition? Is um, it Evelyn? Well, I don't know. Yeah, Evelyn. Evelyn. Evie. Evie might be there because she's smart and she knows where the sources are. You know, she's able to kind of <laughs> read read the hieroglyphs to. Um, to work out, you know, where 
the Bembridge scholars have made a mistake and, um, you know, with her translation and everything is solved. Um, but I think, I mean, the, the reason that I like Evie's character um, is that she <coughs> represents quite something that is quite um, sort of linked to a lot of experiences that women have in archaeology. I mean, there were, were a lot of women involved in archaeology from the late 19th century onwards. Um, but they did come across, you know, prejudice and and um, blocks to their professional development. And you do see them working in libraries, for example, or in unglamorous jobs in museums. And um, and I, I think that her struggles with getting field experience were probably something that other people didn't struggle with as much um, because there were women actually running digs from the 1920s. Um, if not before. So, um, but, you know, I think it's, it's important to ha that you have a film that has a really, really strong woman who's intellectual, but also, you know, able to kind of be flexible and travel and, you know, go after stuff. I mean, whether or not you kind of buy into the whole curse thing is another, <laughs> another question, but I think, but I think, you know, her character does kind of speak to all of those women who were desperate to kind of get into the field and um but also women who who didn't get into the field but were working in libraries and museums so i think her character has a nice crossover for um different kinds of experiences that women had in in archaeology right evie so I, putting I, her on the team i have a confession to make though because i've never actually seen the mummy which might <gasps> expel me from the history film club but the reason is is that i am terrible at watching anything that might be remotely spooky and i just <laughs> do you actually see the mummy because the mummified priest in the film because i i just really struggle with that kind of visual yeah. image of of horror yeah <laughs> and, um, you do. i just oh okay i probably need to grow yeah. up and actually watch it sometime <laughs> in the middle of the you day do. but i have always been really terrible about watching any film that's remotely you know kind of I can't do scary fun because I have nightmares for days Aww. afterwards mm. so I'm a bit of a wuss about it but I really I think I should see it I do think I should see it otherwise I'm going to get you know expelled from the club aren't I? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a disaster. well maybe if Amara comes along for a watch along and explains it you yeah know, and then... explains that it's not real that yeah. you know archaeologists <laughs> don't actually find you know mummified priests coming back from the dead and that that might help <laughs> <laughs> that, that is I, I have to say that <laughs> it's true that they 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 haven't found mummified priests as far as I know I mean coming back from the dead but um <laughs> there are <laughs> there are several narratives that I've come across that are written by archaeologists in which they kind of play with this idea of um you know ancient curses and and whatnot oh yeah um and well, so Carter, there's one course, was supposed to have got, got by it wasn't he yeah yeah i don't know if he indulged in this particular i mean it was too <laughs> close to home for him um but uh no there was a, a, a there's a great story that's in um margaret murray um who was an egyptologist um she started as a student of flinders petries actually in um at ucl in the 1890s and she um did some field work on site at Abydos at the turn of the century. And then she taught in at UCL and um, she became an assistant professor. She taught at UCL for many, 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 many years and then did some excavations elsewhere, including Petra, which is where um, the scene where they go in the um, Last Crusade, where they mm. go into the canyon of the Crescent Moon and the, the 
the big sort of rock cut um, structure that they enter into to get, you know, to the, the place where you have to negotiate the three quests, the three, whatever they are, what I can't remember what they're called, but the three. Yeah, the sort of challenges. Yeah. Hurdles. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Tests so of that, life, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So the, that structure is um, the, the treasury, the El Kazna is called in Petra. And so Margaret Murray was was excavating in Petra in the nineteen uh, late nineteen thirties, um, and she wrote a a book about it. But anyway, she um, ended up writing her memoirs, age one hundred, where they were published when mm-hmm. she was when she was a hundred, and she called it her first hundred years. Um, <laughs> I like never too late to lot. get a book deal. Kids. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and she um, has a chapter in it. Um, about the occult because she was also a historian of witchcraft. So um, by the end of her life, she was kind of known as the sort of godmother of modern Wicca. Um, so she had quite an interesting career. But anyway, she told this story about um, uh, someone who was working at Abidas who found, um, they were finding a lot of human remains on site um, and they had a, uh, a bit of a storage problem so he decided to um put the one of the skeletons that they had found on a shelf over his bed and he woke up at night with the mummy's hand at his throat and so and then she goes on to um she goes on to sort of sort of uh, dispel this giving a very scientific explanation about it but I think it's interesting that she is, <laughs> yeah. Um, but she kind of, you can see her writing it with a sort of twinkle in her eye, thinking, you know, ah. Oh. And um, so I think, I think archaeologists, um, or at least some of them, are able to kind of take this narrative and play with it, which is, I think, really interesting. Well, you see, I just got goosebumps with that skeleton story. So this is not helping me, is it? The curse <laughs> I'm sorry. might be real in terms of actually, like, you know, facing up to the mummy as a film that I need in my film history. <laughs> so... I mean, it's mostly action adventure. It is. <laughs> I could just original... fast forward now, though, through the yeah. mummy bits, couldn't I? So, yeah. You could. I mean, the original ones, the sort of 1930s, the mummy is much more pure horror, mm. um, the Boris Karloff version. Uh, but, yeah, this, this is... I will, try, I will try. I will try. But Amara, we also ask our applicants to our History Film Club to um, nominate something to add to the club library, a favourite film or television production that is yeah. historical. Um, so I was wondering what you would like to add. Oh, historical. I had a, I had one, which is which is actually not historical, but it is archaeological. <laughs> oh, we might we might let that yeah, in. Can yeah, I try us have that one? Okay. So um, it's called the body. It's um, I think you know, up there in terms of archaeological films. Uh, it was, I think it came out in the 1990s. Um, but it, it is, it, I think, is really interesting because it, it is actually an archaeology story that doesn't focus on, there's a focus on archaeology itself, but there's also a focus on the sort of wider kind of like political context of archaeology. So that's why I really like it. Essentially, okay. it's it's a story of um, an archaeologist in Jerusalem, an Israeli archaeologist in Jerusalem, who um, is asked to investigate um, a, a a tomb that's been found in the basement of a shop um, because the shop owner wants to dig a, this basement. So they found this tomb, and um, when she goes into the tomb, she finds a body in the tomb, and um, around it are coins and like pots and bits of other things that 
enable her to sort of date it to the time that Jesus Christ is supposed to have died. So the implication is that this is the body of Christ. And so the whole film is about what happens if you find a human body that is Christ. What, oh, what, how do, wow. What's the impact of that on the religions of Jerusalem as a city? And so the, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, archaeology films just because it's, yeah, it's about that kind of like the, the implications of what archaeology, um, you know, produces. It's it about those great. like I think wider you... political, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, can definitely really include that. I think, I think in so. our I club haven't library. actually seen it. No, but I've just looked it either. up, and it's you know, it's Antonio Banderas and yeah. Jason Fleming, and so it's, oh, you know, it sounds big, great. It sounds brilliant. Oh yeah. well, yes, and okay, Olivia, excellent. Olivia Williams plays. Yes, Olivia Williams. Okay. Wow, that sounds fantastic. really good. Um, yeah. And I think we can have anything that's not set in the future, can't we? Really, Alex, we just embrace well, I think, it. Yeah. <laughs> I <think. laughs> well, I think we'll the crucial all point past <laughs> from right I up think, to now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, up till five minutes ago is history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's. Um, I think also, well, the thing is clearly what it deals with is, and this is what all these archaeology films kind of deal with, is not just a sort of historical setting, but the attitude to history, which is completely fascinating. I mean, it's, a, mm. it's a very worthy nominee. Of course we can have it. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you, Amara. We should put that straight in the library. <laughs> we also ask um, our club members, Amara, to nominate something to ban, something that really annoys them, because we don't want to upset people when they come to the History Film Club. Is there anything in particular that you would not like to see at the club? It can be a television or film production. It can just be something that happens on screen that you don't like, and we'll try and keep it well out of your way. <laughs> Well, I have to say um, that the way I interpreted um, this request um, was that it's not so much something that I want to ban, but I I would really, really like to see more narratives around archaeology that get away from the sort of curses and big discoveries narrative. Okay. So that kind of links into my suggestion of the body for the film club, because um, I think the most interesting stories about archaeology are really stories that are about more of the context. And archaeology is is integrated into that, but it's kind of less, you know, white person comes to foreign country and does a big dig and, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. discovers okay. some, something. And I think it has, I think that would have more of a possibility for um, non-white characters to have better roles. That <laughs> and I think be that's nice. really important. <laughs> <laughs> and what, well, I mean, have you got any stories in mind that we could, I mean, I think it's a brilliant suggestion. Um, I don't know if this is obviously putting you a bit on the spot, just pictures if you were in the Netflix offices, but <laughs> are there stories you would like to see on the screen? Oh, Lord. That, you have put me on the spot. Um, uh, well, there is actually a really interesting story Um that comes from research that a colleague of mine called um, Heba Abadelgawat has done um, with regard to one of the people who is working on site for um, Flinders Petrie, who I mentioned earlier. And this was a little girl um, whose name the um, records don't show because she gave her father's name as um, her name so that she could work on site. So she, you know, was able to kind of navigate this kind of complicated world of work by using her father's name, but getting herself into the right place at the right time. So I think something like that, That's like a, a narrative pitch. like that yeah. would be amazing. And you could, you know, weave a whole story about 
<laughs> I think. But that kind of like central narrative would be would be really good. Brilliant character, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll pitch it. Brilliant. Okay, Amara, that's our that's our job in the club. <laughs> Put that together. Fantastic. And I'm certainly happy for us to ban curses and kind of fantasy horror uh, because yeah, then I don't have to watch the Mummy, do I? So hurrah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I don't think we can ban it completely because of that, but we should perhaps put it in a special section so that yes. you, so that Hannah yeah. won't accidentally watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, special collections. You have to like permission for you. <laughs> well, I think. I mean, that's been a very successful interview, Amara, and I think on the basis of that, we would be delighted to offer you membership at the History Film Club. Oh, hey. You've been accepted. I'm Woo. very excited. Well, we're Thank delighted to have you. Uh, one of the things we'll do on your first visit to the club, Mara, is we'll buy your drink at the bar um, in order to welcome you properly. Uh, we offer all our guests whatever tipple they like. Um, it can have a historical theme or not. Is there a particular kind of drink um, that we could get for you uh, when you come and visit us? Oh, I'm very partial to a gin and tonic, I have to say. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> choice. Definitely do that. <laughs> Also very sensible because you know all that quinine protects against malaria. That's right, yeah. And that's really know, what it would I'm, be awful. What yeah, I'm after. I mean, it's for health. Yeah, yeah. Very sensible. We shall have one lovely and cold and waiting for you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much to our wonderful guest Mara Thornton, now a member of the History Film Club, and thank you very much for listening. I've been Alex Montanzman. Hannah's been Hannah Gregg, and this has been the History Film Club. You've been listening to the History Film Club, presented by Alex von Tunzelman and Hannah Gregg, with Dr. Amara Thornton, and produced and directed by Nat Tapley for Globing Productions. Mm-hmm.